That is some specially submitted TGAF, brought to you by CTBK, theme music, courtesy of Donnie Fraunhofer, who, uh, this is a solo uh, work for him. It's called A Spirit. It's available on Spotify, and he's loaned it uh, to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. And... uh, so check out uh, Donnie Fraunhofer on Spotify. Also, uh, he's in a band with Adam Bronstein. You may recognize that last name. And the name of that band is Intrepid Travelers. And anybody uh, who has seen uh, Gravy uh, around town, a Gravy played at my uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, fundraiser last year. And Gra- <laughs> Awesome, awesome musicianship, and uh, just everybody who was there loved it. And um, so, just uh, I, I know I've just dropped three artists at you there, uh, but uh, the ones we want to focus on are Intrepid Travelers and uh, and uh, Donnie Fraunhofer uh, for giving us uh, a spirit uh, to start uh, TGAF brought to you by CTBK. Joining me here are Jonah Bronstein, also known as Adam Bronstein's brother, and Bronstein Matthew Enterprises, Fairburn, and Matthew Fairburn, also known as somebody who's met Adam Bronstein. All right. Uh, so, uh, guys, uh, I uh, uh, I'm pretty impressed that the, the TGAF has grown to the point that we now have people submitting music for us to use. Shows how many F's you have to give to this show. <laughs> There are a lot of that makes us a real. To. I think that makes us a real podcast because I don't know about you guys, but every podcast I listen to at the end, they say thank you for composing our podcast theme. I didn't realize that was such a burgeoning industry, but I guess it is. Yes, and so and uh, I think that da- uh, Donnie Fraunhofer may be submitting some more music for us. Uh, that uh, that gesture has been uh, made. And I think that uh, Adam also um, is, is involved with this. And, I, you know, Adam's the conduit uh, through uh, Jonah is also. So my thanks to everyone involved uh, for helping to uh, gussy up the show and make it sound uh, somewhat passable. Um, the Miami Dolphins are trying to make themselves passable, I think. A lot of people are wondering what the Dolphins are up to. And I wanted to bring this up because I think it directly impacts the Bills, uh, what the quarterback situation is in Miami uh, a lot of people in, uh, in South Florida, in the media, and you would expect nothing less because anybody who gets around Ryan Fitzpatrick loves Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, the fans down there are upset. The media is upset that uh, Fitz has been done dirty uh, and he's lost his starting job. But my thought is here at three and three, one game behind the Bills, the Bills showing a little wobble, uh, the Patriots showing a lot of wobble. I think the Dolphins are in a situation where maybe they're thinking, you know what, we got a shot at this thing. And rather than wait, um, let's maybe give this guy a chance because they must think he makes their team better. Uh, I don't know, but I just wanted to open up the discussion regarding Ryan Fitzpatrick. Number one, have we seen the last of him? And number two, how it affects, uh, affects the bills. Are the Dolphins the biggest threat to the bills in the AFC East right now? I, well, I did not like what I saw out of the New England Patriots. Uh, well, I guess if you if you don't like the New England Patriots, then you'll say yes, I do like what I saw out of the New England Patriots. 
against the Denver Broncos last week. They just didn't look like they had it. Um, Cam Newton was awesome through the first two or three weeks of the season. Of course, COVID strikes. And to lose to Denver, um, I, I don't know. I, th- I think the Dolphins have been more impressive. Uh, and I've seen almost all of their games, the Patriots and the, and the Dolphins. The Dolphins seem, even in their losses, to look a lot more competitive than the Patriots have. That's just me. The Dolphins have a higher DVOA than the Bills right now even with a head-to-head loss to the Bills. I don't know if they're a better team, but snap for snap, as the season has gone on, they've played about as well, if not better, than the Bills. But that's with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. I think it comes down to how good Tua is. And, you know, I think Brian Flores has clearly done a good job getting those guys pulling in the same direction, a team that looked historically bad a year ago and pulled itself out of that. And now they're you know, competitive, I would say slightly ahead of schedule. And if they have a quarterback who can, you know, provide a spark to that offense, they have some talent. The The running back, Miles Gaskin has played really well. Preston Williams and Devontae Parker are two good receivers. So if Tua is what they think he is and can have that type of instant success, all of a sudden they're right in the mix. And we've talked about the Bills schedule as it, you know, shapes up down the road. That's going to be, uh, you know, there's there's some games they're not going to be able to win on there. They're they're going to, you know, probably be in that nine to eleven win range. And if it's on the lower end, that puts the Dolphins well within striking distance. I think it's an interesting switch too. Uh, obviously done during the bye week uh, coming up, but then they come out of the bye. The Dolphins do and play the Rams. They're at the Cardinals, the Chargers. And then a couple of uh, easier games with uh, at Denver, at Jets. Um, so this could be also a situation where Brian Flores says, we can go into our next couple of games with, uh, and, and an opponent isn't going to have any idea what we're going to do, as opposed to being able to game plan off of five games of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, they now can present a totally different menu uh, on offense that, uh, it may be difficult for teams to adjust to. So maybe they feel this gives them an edge through a particularly, you know, this isn't a nasty part of the schedule, but playing the Rams, you know, Rams, Cardinals, Chargers is not easy. Um, and it maybe comes at, at the right time for them to, to, to create a little separation. How badly do we feel for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yesterday there was a, tiny violin everybody on Twitter was playing because Ryan Fitzpatrick's heart hurt over um, getting replaced again. He thought this was his team. There's a human element, of course. It's a weird job, right, to be in the NFL and to be replaced and then have to sit in the meeting room with the guy that replaced you. But I don't know. How did he think this was his team? I'm a little I'm a little confused by that. They picked this guy in the top 10. They were going to go to him eventually. He was playing okay, not great, kind of as he always has. He, I don't know. He's had a pretty good run for a guy that has never really been um, at the tippity top of, of the profession. I mean, football has given quite a bit to Fitzpatrick. This happens to him a lot, but he's still around, still collecting paychecks. Well, and he's been around a while. He's been around a while. He's been replaced many times. You would think with his old age and his wisdom beard that he would know that, Hey, this is how it goes. Even if he didn't really feel like he agreed with the move going into the bye week I would think you had to at least maybe not see it coming, but wonder if 
that move was going to happen. If you're Ryan Fitzpatrick or anybody that's empathic to his wishes and desires right now. That's when the move happens is the bye week. Although I, you know, where I can see where Ryan Fitzpatrick is coming from is that the Dolphins are playing well and uh, they've won three of their last four. Um, the game against the Bills, Fitzpatrick was a borderline hero, almost pulled that out for him. Uh, the game against uh, Seattle that uh, they lost uh, was by eight points. And that's always tough to try to, you know, keep up with Russell Wilson. But um, where I was surprised is, you know, we, we've talked about it on this show and all the different iterations of this show. It's been written about any number of times is how Ryan Fitzpatrick is held up as the commensurate team guy that when it is time for Tua Tagovailoa to take over, he's going to be the most supportive number one fan. And that's why you have him on your roster. And it's why the bills were interested in bringing Ryan Fitzpatrick back um, or a Josh McCown um, McCown. I, I always stumble over that uh, the McCowns and the McNowns. Um, it's why the bills wanted that type of guy when they drafted uh, Josh Allen um, is because he's going to graciously step aside when it's time. That didn't seem gracious to me. Um, and yes, there's some sympathy, I guess, to be had for Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he really did play the, play the victim uh, pretty hard uh, when he met with uh, Dolphins media yesterday and talking about how it, it hurt it. I mean, I think for a certain amount of time, yes, but it had been a day had passed and there are certain things you're supposed to say to the media, but he didn't really do anything to diffuse the fact that he was wronged because he felt wronged. And I think a team guy swallows hard there and, and uh, just moves on and, uh, well, and, and you're the team guy. If you look back at his career, I don't think Fitz has ever really been the, maybe at the beginning, the backup holding the clipboard, mentoring the younger quarterback for a long period of time. It's usually been injuries and circumstance and happenstance. It's not like he's gone in there and weaseled his way into starting positions. But on every team he's been on over the years, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Titans, even in Buffalo, he didn't come in to be the starter, and he became the starter. So it's almost like he hasn't really been in this position too often where he thought it was his team and someone else usurped him, but he's been the usurper more often than not. Excellent point. Yeah, he's I, – I think there's a, a human element that is nice to see, right? As reporters, you like to see a guy being honest and open about how it feels to be benched um, and how that hurts. And I don't think that sharing that piece is necessarily uh, wrong, but he seemed to lay it on really thick with the this being his team and him being shocked and all that. I just don't know how you can be shocked when they take a guy as highly regarded as Tua is um, when they took him as high as, as they did. And when they're a team that's clearly rebuilding, uh, I mean, he's to Jonah's point, he's kind of replaced a lot of these guys, these highly regarded guys and, and sort of stolen their jobs from them at various points um, due to different circumstances, but coming in, you need to know kind of where you stand and, he's not a young man. He's not in his prime. Um, it, you know, the, even though his prime came later in his career, that that's not where he's at right now. So yeah, I think that it was a little, it was a little strange. It was, I, I think he's 
well-regarded enough in most locker rooms that he walks into that people can appreciate that. And I'm sure as a few days go by, and maybe that's why the bye week is healthy for something like this, they're able to have some time off. He comes back in, reset, knows his role, and and that's that. But I think this might be the last we've seen of him, but I don't know. He, he never goes – he never seems to go away. Do you see any trade potential? Dallas maybe? I don't know. Like I can't think of any other team, and I don't even think Dallas really does that. I feel if you're Dallas and you want to make – you know, what's the difference between Andy Dalton and Ryan Fitzpatrick? Um, maybe Fitzpatrick's Ryan a little bit better. Harvard. That is true. Well, I guess there are a lot of differences between the two. Yeah. Um, TCU the, is the Harvard of the South. That's true. Many people say it. I mean, skill set wise, are they, you know, dramatically different? Are you, you're not winning a Super Bowl, most likely, with either one of those guys. So I don't know if you're the Cowboys and you really want to go for it. I think you go out and get a Jameis Winston or try to pry Sam Darnold away from the Jets rather than going for Fitzpatrick or, um, you know, somebody like that. I think uh, obviously a big part of Ryan Fitzpatrick's uh, emotional uh, response yesterday is that he's going to be 38 next month. And as well as things were going for him here, I'm sure there's a part of him that says, this is my last ride. And this is going to be a pretty sweet way to end it. I'm playing respectably. I'm leading a team. I'm a starter. I'm clearly talented enough to still be in the NFL and next year, it's going to be time to step aside, whether it be retire or remain on as the backup, as it's then to his time. And maybe he felt that uh, that, uh, that chance uh, to finish on top was yanked out from under him. But I will say this, too. Um, he's been in the league for a long time. And how many times have we seen Ryan Fitzpatrick start off well, uh, but he's never closed the deal. Uh He's whether it be injury or his, his play lags. Um, he seems to lose a little arm strength as the season goes on. I don't know, but I, I think that the dolphins, um, almost like a baseball team, like we're seeing it in the world series now, maybe they're over managing to say, all right, maybe we go, let's, let's make the switch before the switch needs to be made for us. Um, because teams are going to start figuring out what we're doing here. You know, Chan Gailey's involved here too. Chan Gailey's the offensive coordinator in Miami, and he has plenty of experience. I don't know if he was standing on the table uh, saying we we should not uh, we should not do this. I don't know where he stood. He stands on all this. We haven't heard, but anyways, I think a lot of nuance to this Ryan Fitzpatrick decision, uh, and could make things easier for the Bills. Might make it harder for the Bills to win the division, but it's certainly going to influence it in some way because changing your quarterback when you're one game out of first place uh, at, in week seven, uh, I think it's, it's going to be almost impossible for that not to have an impact. So week was... 17, the Bills hosting the Dolphins, let's say the division or playoff spots on the line in that game, would you rather face a rookie in Tua or Ryan Fitzmagic <laughs> coming into the stadium? He's done it before in the last game of the year. Yeah. Against, no, he lost that yes. game. Actually. He lost that game. Yeah, he's right. never he made the, he's never made the playoffs, right? With so. Chan Gailey as the offensive coordinator of that team, by the True. way. So Chan yeah. has seen this. He's seen this guy not be, not close the deal, whether it be for whatever reason, he's, he's, he's been a hot, you know, fit, we, Fitzmagic came from somewhere. We didn't invent that. That was, he was hot. 
He was fun. He was entertaining. He was getting it done. He was overachieving. All the different romantic notions of what makes a quarterback fun and endearing and, and you know, plucky. Uh, he does it, but yet he's never taken a team to the playoffs. And if the Dolphins feel like they have some hope, that's where I, that's a theory of mine. I think it's, they, they see like, Hey, wait a minute, we got a shot. We better make a push for it before it's too late. Well, and what do you have to lose? Well, like you said, Ryan Fitzpatrick's never taken a team to the playoffs. So uh, the upside there is kind of capped. It always has been. And with Tua, maybe there's something there. And if there's not, then you, you see what you have for, you know, the better part of the season and start developing him. I, I think you make those decisions based on when the rookie quarterback is ready and kind of try to remove all the variables surrounding that and, and not jump to a knee jerk move. And I think that's probably what they're doing here is like you said, the hip is healthy. Uh, he, he's ready to go. Um, and yeah, they're, they're in it. So, you know, what is there to lose? Uh, this is not, you know, the bills switching from Tyrod Taylor to Nathan Peterman in the middle of a playoff run, you know, Nathan Peterman was a fifth round pick. This is a guy that was a top 10 pick and who conceivably in a few weeks could get this thing rolling. Look at the way Justin Herbert's playing. Um, you know, look at the way Joe Burrow has played at times this year. These guys are jumping on the field and playing well. So, you know, if Tua has a little bit of that in him, and the dolphins feel like they have a, the rest of the pieces, to be competitive enough and be enough of an opportunity because the rest of the conference and division uh, isn't really up to par. Yeah. I, I, I like the move. I like the, the aggressiveness. Um, they didn't do it at the, the time that everybody would have said it was obvious after a four pick game or something from Ryan Fitzpatrick, which was probably coming at some point, given his career history, they said, well, let's, let's get out in front of that and see if this offense has a little bit more upside to it than what it's shown through you know, six games. Before we get into Bills at Jets uh, and then into our guests, which include Bills scout, former Bills scout, Gerald Dixon is going to join us. Also, Gerald was involved with the XFL. He's going to have some good stories to tell. And of course, uh, Joel Staniszewski to give us uh, his analysis on Bills at Jets from a betting standpoint. I want to remind everybody that TGAF is brought to you by Shampo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on acquisitions and mergers. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's CTBK at 716-630-2400. Shampo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Um, the Bills, as high as a 13-point favorite at the Meadowlands, uh, which is something that has happened only three times in Bill's history to be favored by that many points on the road. Uh, four times in NFL history, if you want to go to the opening line of 11. Um, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on this game? That's a big line. The last time they were favored by that much on the road was early 90s, and they lost uh, to the Colts. It's a 
it's a, a game that they absolutely need. Uh, they needed the Jets to be on the schedule right here. They needed this sort of get right game and, and the, uh, the ability to kind of put those two weeks behind them. And if they can't beat the Jets, then this thing's going to fly off the rails, uh, at least public perception. I'm not saying one game is going to derail the entire season, but if they can't beat the Jets, there's going to be some some unhappy people here in Buffalo, and that's going to really intensify the pressure going into back-to-back games against the Patriots and the Seahawks. So uh, the Jets are, you know, a, a winless team is always a, a dangerous out, uh, you know, the live dog. And if Sam Darnold's back, you know, I, I guess you give the Jets an outside chance, but let's face it, they're 13-point underdogs for a reason. They've been really bad this year all across the board. They have a head coach that they may or may not have, you know, started to quit on in some respects. So the worst really, coach I've ever seen. Yeah. He's really bad. Like really going bad. back to Miami. I really never seen a guy who inspired less confidence in his team and didn't seem to have the players playing for him and not really make up for it in any way. I guess he's a good play caller, but I've never seen a coach in football, at least that seemed to be less qualified to be an NFL head coach than this guy his his reputation is sort of built on a one good year with Peyton Manning right like being Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator at that stage in his career has got to be like the easiest yeah. offensive coordinator plays, job in football if you're calling plays for Peyton Manning you're pretty much not calling any plays because he changes the play right, the he's changing them all he's probably calling the offense he's probably installing it during the week I mean that's a pretty easy gig and fact that he got to kind of ride the reputation there for a little while and still is to some extent uh, is pretty amazing that it's interesting to see the trajectory of the two rebuilds between the bills and the jets and how differently they've gone. And a lot of it probably has to do with the head coaches and um, the GMs and, you know, the, the roster around Josh Allen is a lot better than the one around Sam Darnold right now. And the, the coaching too. It's uh, it's amazing to me that, that Gase got this second opportunity because as you as you guys mentioned, I mean there are different ways you can get a reputation, but we gotta we gotta look under the hood in in his time with Miami and then Miami moves on from him and to think that the guy was such a hot commodity that the Jets had to have him. Um, enough people around the league knew that he was a problem from a communication standpoint from a human interaction standpoint. Um, he, do, he just can't connect with his players. And a lot of times you hear from even his assistants, you just, they can't figure, they can't understand the guy and he doesn't seem to care that you don't understand him. Yeah. He's a, uh, he, he also just really seems to not present a very good public image at times. And that's only a fraction of the job, probably a small fraction of it, but it always seems like he's deflecting blame uh, and, you know, kind of putting out mixed signals on players and just doesn't have control of his messaging. And some of that stuff matters. Look at Le'Veon Bell and the way he essentially ran him out of town. And I'm sure other guys in that, that building feel the same way about playing for him. And I feel like the longer he's in New York, the, the happier Bills fans should be because he, he doesn't make them a very, competitive team in the present and he certainly doesn't make them a very promising team in the future in the greg williams uh you know he took a passive aggressive swipe at uh, adam gase uh, last week 
where he said, hey, the defense doesn't look great. I know the numbers are bad, but that's not all the defense's fault. And somebody said, well, what do you mean by that? And he was like, well, figure it out for yourself. And it was really a saying that the offense is doing such a terrible job. Um, and that's Greg Williams, I think, smelling blood in the water. Like he's going for the jugular. Greg Williams would love to be an NFL head coach. And I think that's his way of, you know, given the nudge of, all right, time to move on from this guy. Why don't you just let me elevate me as the, even if it's his interim. Uh, but yeah, to cast even more doubt on the head coach that, that I think goes to show you, regardless of what you think of Greg Williams. I mean, he's, he's been an opportunist his entire career. Um, but he also knows an opportunity when he sees one, he know, like I said, blood in the water. He knows that he knows that Adam Gase is, is, is falling, falling apart and failing on the job. Well, you hear that complimentary football argument on the other side of the coin a lot of times. Like the Bills defense, when they've been strong in years past, will say, you know, it's not it, – we're in this together. We don't want to blame the offense. You rarely hear a defensive coach saying, yeah, it's the offense's fault. Our defense is struggling. Even when they think that. Sean McDermott, I think, benched Tyrod Taylor one time after the defense gave up a lot of points against the Saints. You see it in their actions, but you almost never hear a coach say it out loud, say the, the quiet part out loud. Right. Or, or let's think about, and it wasn't said, it was just done after Rex's defense gave up a gazillion yards. Uh, he fires Greg Roman. Right. Yeah. That's probably a better example than the one I made. But you see coaches do it, but they rarely admit to doing it or even hint that they're thinking that way. But Greg Williams, I, I think it's another example of why Adam Gase isn't a good coach because Greg Williams doesn't respect or like him enough to hide those feelings. Yep. A lot of fun. Uh, so I, you know, let's uh, Bill's fans should hope for a, a fun day. I think they're, they're probably going to get their wish uh, of romp um, help you uh, forget your sorrows of the last two games by just trampling uh, the jets, uh, a team that um, doesn't seem to care whether it's coach gets fired or not. Um, we're going to talk about that some more with uh, Joel Staniszewski when he comes up too, uh, because maybe that point spread isn't big enough. Join now on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, by former Bills scout, former and probably, if not for a pandemic, would still be an XFL scout. That was a fun moment in football time, and we're going to get into that too. We're joined now by Gerald Dixon. Uh, thanks for coming on to the show, Gerald. Man, appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, it's good to see you. Um, get ready to uh, get this thing going. What, what, what is this thing? You've had a smile on your face here. What is it you think we're going to get at here? Um, you know what? what it's not even attacking here in this conversation. No, you know what? It's not even attacking. It's I've always wanted to do a podcast with you. Just because you're one of the few guys that ask serious questions that get to the point and you find a way to get your answers. And I think that's beautiful journalism. Well, that's a compliment. There might be a little pointed criticism in there. When you say I'm a guy who always finds a way to get his answers, I, 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 there's no torture involved. No. So when you deal with a great lawyer or, or the, like, the mind, like the whip, like you're like a whip. 
So you go in there, and for the most part, everyone has their answer set up. On to the next day, on to the next game. But you find a way just to massage that answer, ask that question until finally, yep, there it is. I had uh, my counter, my colleague, Edgar Thompson at the Palm Beach Post. We covered the Dolphins together. He's now covering uh, the Florida Gators. And uh, he used to call me the velvet fog because I would uh, wait until a certain point in the press conference and then ask a very calm question. But it was usually the question that, you know, but he said I had asked it in such this, this, <laughs> anyways, I like I, to be called the velvet fog. I mean, that's Mel Torme for you younger uh, listeners out there. Mel Torme is, uh, uh, well, he was a, he was a singer. He wasn't a journalist, but to be right. called the Velvet Fog, I guess. Anyways, Gerald, that's a big compliment. Thank you. Velvet and Fog um, goes well together, but wearing Velvet in a fog, I don't think that would ever be good because you probably no. <laughs> So tell us, tell everybody what you're up to now. Um, XFL has been out of commission and uh, Dwayne Johnson's purchased it, but uh, do you, can you see yourself getting involved uh, with it again? Because you were with the, uh, the DC Defenders and Things were looking pretty good there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I would love to get back in um, XFL. Uh, my time with the guys um, and the staff that I had was awesome. At the time when we all finished up, we're in first place, and we're getting ready to, to start rolling. Um, and maybe even the best time like in the executive chair, even a scouting chair I've ever had, is with a group of people that were real good to work with, like myself, Matt Cooper, Greg Gabriel, um, Pep Hamilton now that's doing a phenomenal job out there with the Chargers with that young quarterback. Um, we had a good thing going on. I had a, a lot of my guys that were with the Bills at one point. I drafted them, had them around. So we had a good camaraderie, a good group of, of, of guys that we, that we put together and we're getting ready to start rolling, like I said, and then it happened. Yeah, I mean, Gerald, how do you kind of, when you think about your, your journey you took, to get to where you've gotten to. And, and you took kind of a, a bet on yourself, right? To, to leave the bills and leave the NFL to kind of run your own thing. As everybody knows, scouting is kind of this volatile profession. Um, and there's, there's different um, roadblocks in a career, but this one's got to be up there. Uh, you probably didn't anticipate that, you know, a pandemic would come around and would kind of throw everything for a loop. What's the just the market for the job market been like, or it seems like it's been a slow grind for a lot of guys when the XFL shut down and then the NFL was shut down for a while. Just how have you navigated all that? Well, grind is meaning like the wheels turning and there's some type of motion going on. It's a halt. <laughs> it's a full stop. Um, I've had some conversation with guys, but a lot of people, they're not hiring. Everyone either in college is a freeze. NFL at one point it was a freeze. So if you're out, you're really out um, of a job. And then there's really no job search because you can search, but no one really knows what's the next thing coming. Are they going to have, um, or school's going to open back up in the next year or so to have scouts on um, campus? Um, in terms of fans, are fans going to be back allowed back in the stadiums? So that now comes with revenue. Are you going to make more hires? Are you going to have smaller staffs? in terms of um, the scouting on uh, the personnel department. No one knows. So most people are just standing still and just waiting until they do get that answer. But for a guy like myself, I'm, I'm out. And I'm looking in and watch games. Uh, 
try to keep myself as current as possible. But right now, I'm just being an all-American dad, um, an all-star husband, I would say. But my wife probably would say I'm trying to be an all-star <laughs> husband. Um, I'm a school. I'm a substitute school teacher with my uh, with my kids because they all. Uh, my son goes three days a week to a, a private school. My daughter does a virtual learning, and I have a two-year-old that I got to catch up with with the colors and ABCs and all that other stuff. My wife just hired me as a head cafeteria guy. Uh, I'm the <laughs> consultant, um, the IT department at my house, so I'm staying busy for the most part, which. I haven't had this much time with my family, so I'm, I'm, I'm truly appreciating it. Sounds like you're padding that resume, uh, Gerald. Uh, you're going to have all kinds of entries in there uh, to make you uh, an asset for any uh, team that wants to hire you. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. How are you doing with your shapes these days? Oh, listen, I'm, I'm knocking the shapes out. My daughter is, well, she's already highly and super intelligent, but with me on her, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get her right. And she hates when I when I, when we start because I overwork her and we are super detailed because I love to teach and she's nine years old right she just wants to talk about JoJo Siwa and all the other things and I'm 100% focused on school. What kind of you know a lot of guys that talk about the scouting world kind of you know with what happened um, you know pro days kind of getting shut down and the draft being weird a lot of guys are talking about like having more time with their families and a lot of stuff was done remotely. Do you, could you see the, the scouting world evolving uh, in some ways? Because I, it seems like a lot of guys are like, man, this, this whole being home with my family thing is kind of nice. And there's a lot you can do when you're not on the road um, seemingly 24 seven, the way you guys usually are. So if I can push the clock back um, a year ago, basically we built our team virtually majority if not all of our meetings were done zoom um a lot of the the scouting we did via the same thing that the guys did in the nfl was video and you have if you have instincts you have to go off of it you can't really go out and do a ton so what this pandemic has done is is really open up everyone's eyes to say you don't have to work until one in the morning you don't have to go out on the road for say half of the half of the year because you can still get the same job done if you work at an efficient level and efficiency is probably the 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 best thing that we all get the scouts or people in personnel got out of this whole entire um, pandemic of not being able to, to go on campus and really wear those guys out with workouts and, and and so on because as a young guy i don't even know how half of these rookies even make it because they're they're worn out first of all from a 13 college um, game season, if you're playing for the, the great University of Alabama, you know we're going to be in a championship game, so you had 13, 14 games. Um, after that, you have, you're getting ready for the combine, which you're working again. Um, after that, you have personal workouts. So after, I mean, some of these young people get beat up and get worn out. So when they do get drafted and they're starting by week eight or nine during the season, they're dead. They've hit that wall. And it's what, that's what we come to. So, I mean, maybe this year, if everybody goes back and, and really look at what the value is of going out and just really, really just grinding these kids out, if something good comes out of this, maybe we can all walk away and have a true family and have a home life. 
um, as, as a scout or, or, or a coach. Yeah, I think that that is one of the things that uh, the NFL, I hope, is learning is that not every, all of this is necessary. And, you know, whether it be preseason games, uh, which were, we didn't have, and now some coaches who uh, used to say, yes, I need all four of these games, now saying, well, maybe I could have gotten away with two. Um, and maybe you just see ways, like you say, to, to build around the family. I know Bruce Arians is big with that. There are some coaches who insist on making time for family, but then there are some who would love to have their assistant sleeping on a cot and getting, you know, in the office and getting five hours of sleep a night. I mean, so what's, what's the benefit of having someone overworked and not properly rest? You're not going to get the best out of that person. And that's what I learned sitting in the, in the, in the, in the chair of leadership, um, proper rest, efficiency, just the overall quality of life. You get the best out of everybody when they have a, a good quality of life. So if someone's sleeping on the cot or sleeping in their office and they're not seeing their family, like, that person's going to be miserable as heck. So, if it's a coach, if it's someone in, in the office working, the first thing that they, the first time of adversity or, or any trouble, they're going to snap. And that's why you, you might even hear a lot of coaches sitting there yelling and screaming because they're probably pissed off and frustrated that they haven't been home in a couple of days. You know, so that's just my point of view. Right. Yeah, we're in conversation with Gerald Dixon, former Buffalo Bill Scout, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Coach G.V. Dixon, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, too, uh, to go uh, and check out, if you haven't read it, uh, Matthew Fairburn's story with the headline, He Wasn't Supposed to Make It, a feature on Gerald Dixon uh, that ran at The Athletic in May of this year. Um, Gerald, I know that, uh, like you say, you're watching as much football as you can to stay sharp. Um, I'm sure you've been watching the Bills games. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far from these 2020 Bills? Well, sitting at four and two, that's, I mean, they're in a pretty good position. And they're also um, ahead of their division as well, too. Um, the obvious is Josh has improved. His last two games, he's, he's went back a little bit to the Josh that we saw previously. But I have full confidence in, in Brian Dable getting that get offense going again. Because a lot of people don't know Brian is he's pretty sharp, man. Um, coming out the gates, I thought that he's done an impressive job with Josh in terms of plays and routes and throws that really highlight Josh's skill set um, and kept him, Josh away from things that, you know, give him a little bit of, um, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for him to, to get going. Like early on in the game, just airing the ball out, I mean, with a strong arm, it's going to back some people up. But in the last few weeks, you've seen some, some defensive coordinators really slow Josh down in terms of playing a lot more coverage and giving um, Josh some throws. And I believe as he gets a little bit more seasoned, he's going to say, you know what? If I have to go 21 for 28 and only have 260 yards, I'm okay with that without the explosive plays and just take what the defense gives me. Because after a while, you're not going to allow something like that to happen. And then people make mistakes. And once they make mistakes, I think that's when they will in and, and they'll take advantage of it. 
when you flip it to the other side of that, um, their defense, um, the last couple of weeks it's been pretty rough because against Tennessee, Tannehill got after him a little bit with um, A.J. Brown. I know Tredavious didn't um, play, but that didn't look too well um, on, the, on the defensive side in terms of pass defense. And then when you get to Kansas City, 200-plus yards, that's regardless of what you're trying to do, that's a pretty long day at the office. And playing um, defense and coaching on defense, whenever that happens, I mean, you, get, you really got to go back and, and reset the, the clock and get back to ground zero and start all over again from the basic fundamentals and discipline of technique, getting off blocks. Um, and sometimes when you have uh, give up a 200-something yard game, somebody needs to come out there and lay the wood to somebody. And I haven't, that's one thing I haven't seen this year from the Bills. Typically, is my buddy Zoe Alexander that would come out there and set the tone. Um, but if you allow teams to think that they can come in and basically push you around, because they got pushed around last week, and somebody not lay the wood or the hammer, whatever word that you want to use to the offense, then you're going to become, and people are going to think that you're a pushover. And I hate to see that happen, but you are what you are on film. What do you think of, you know, people look at this defense and, and wonder, you know, a lot of the pieces are there. You mentioned Lorenzo Alexander is, is a big one that, that departed Shaq Lawson uh, departed star opted out. Uh, they lost Jordan Phillips, but some of those foundational pieces that um, you were there when, when the bills were bringing those guys in Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tredavious white, Matt Milano. Um, is it a personnel issue? Um, you know, is it, the way the game is going, uh, do they have the pieces, I guess, to right the ship on that side of the ball? Well, I'm not there to see if they have the pieces to, to right the ship, but they have a, a solid group of guys up front, but I just don't see any one of those defensive tackles, speaking of defensive tackles, that's getting off the ball and knocking guys back and creating a new line of scrimmage, which you saw Jordan Phillips do on Monday Night Football. You saw he did that in spurts um, when he played for the Buffalo Bills. So until one of these guys that they've picked up in free agency or drafted start asserting themselves and knocking guys back and getting off of blocks and making plays behind the line of scrimmage, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be pretty tough to, to stop the ball from being ran down um, the throw. I think that's one of the more alarming aspects of what fans have seen with the Bills is the way that offenses are pushing them around, like you just described, Gerald, um, which is also kind of like it's so frustrating for a fan because that's exactly the opposite of what you want your football team to be. It would be one thing, I think, if uh, you were losing because of turnovers or, you know, whatever, a, a drop pass. But when you're getting manhandled, it really kind of affects your psyche as a fan of like, these, are, these aren't the guys I want to be rooting for. Other than laying the wood, can anything be done schematically, do you think, to shore up the run uh, with the personnel that they have? Well, and if I had to put my coaching hat back on. Uh, right. You love to say scheme, scheme, scheme. But at the end of the day, players truly win games and no matter what the scheme is to a man you have to get out and do your job 
And that's why I alluded to the, the fact of guys on defense getting off blocks. Um, resetting that line of scrimmage. And that's with size, strength, technique, and power. And I'm, Ed Oliver is not the biggest individual, right? Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a little guy, in my opinion, that's playing at the three technique position. And that's over the guard, um, the edge of the guard. And his deal was always get off, causing havoc in the backfield. And they're not truly getting that out of him, in my opinion. I, when I watched him, he was paced on blocks left and right. Uh, the left guard from Kansas City, young man that just started, um, I think his first game. Uh, they had three. That's the one thing that doesn't get mentioned enough when you talk about how badly the Chiefs ran on the Bills is that once Mitchell Schwartz left the game, they had three, three of their five offensive linemen were new. They, new. they weren't, they were without three starters and they still did what they did to the bills. Right. Like Dan Daniel Kilgore was in there for the, for the most part. And I coached against Daniel when he was at App State solid player, but man, he looked like he was, was a hall of famer. The left guards throwing around um, um, at Oliver and you just don't see the, the urge for me. I, I don't see the urgency of getting off, having some snap in, in, in their hands, um, knocking guys back. Cause that's when you look at real good defense, if you looked at the green Bay game, I don't mean to get off that, but if you look at the green Bay versus Tampa game, man, those guys for, for Tampa. Yeah. They were forklifting the guards and interior linemen for the green Bay Packers in the backfield. And you just don't see that. And if you're not forklifting guys by strength, um, Aaron Donald does a pretty good job of just penetrating and just creating a new line of scrimmage, just showing a different color. So that running back that's coming downhill has to change his course, stutter his feet, whatever word that anyone wants to use. But he's not on a straight line track and making a cut at the second level and then getting to your safeties, which is a, uh, Another deal where, I mean, you don't want your safeties making every tackle. When they do make tackles, you'd want some every now and then knock guys back instead of allowing a two-yard gain after contact. Right. Seems like the only reinforcement they have coming, other than if they make a trade, is Matt Milano. If he gets healthy and starts playing again, you, I know you know him going back quite a ways what do you remember about, about scouting him, bringing him in, and, and can he make a big enough difference to be kind of that, that spark that they need? Well, you know, I don't know about being a, a difference maker in terms of changing 100 and something less yards for one guy, but he's a good enough player that's going to help out in terms of being an eraser. And when, when I use the word eraser, you have to, to me, you have to have a guy at the second level that if something goes wrong, if someone's not in their gap and the running back makes a break for it, he erases that bad play and you start back over. And I, that, that's one thing I also don't see. But my story with Matt Milano, I've known Matt since he was in high school. I actually tried to recruit him when I was coaching at the Citadel, but well, I mean, he was big time. He wanted to go play at Boston College. He just came out and hung out with me, but he didn't want to do that. So He's a kid out of Dr. Phillips um, High School in Orlando. And then um, one, of the, one, of, one of the things that Jim Onis has always helped me out with was uh, 
he always gave me the, the low tier guys that we had written up in the sixth, seventh round, or even free agency. And we used to call it our 180 project. And he used to come in with a, a list of guys and like he'd drop it off my desk and say, hey, all right, smoke, here you go. Find one. And I used to get pumped up over that because if the, at that time, director of player personnel, and he's my best friend, one of my best friends, would give me enough responsibility to say, hey, find a guy for me. Um, I took a lot of pride in that. So in that year, Matt was buried um, in our draft um, write-ups. I think we had a, a late round grade on to maybe even free agency grade on him. And he tested well at the combine. So the first thing I would do is I would automatically just go and just see how they tested at the combine. And he just, his, his 40 was good. His short shuttle was good. And then the name, I have pretty good recalls. Like the name just popped off my head. I was like, man, I remember that kid. He played safety. At the worst, he can run. But now they're saying he can play linebacker. Let me take a look at him. And that's when Sean had first got there. And I know that Sean, um, he wanted some guys that can really run. Because we were coming from big, thick inside linebackers from a 3-4. And we didn't really have guys that could play that outside linebacker or the linebacker that Sean wanted. So he was the guy that I was intrigued with. So I went back to it, went back and did um, his film. And I end up giving Matt a fourth round grade. And um, we end up taking him. Now I'm not taking credit for any of that. It was a group effort, but he was one of my guys that I, um, we, we say we you typically unearthed in, um, in our draft room. And um, Bob Babbage took a liking to him just because of the way he played. Um, you never really saw him taking on blocks and, and, and shedding it and whatnot, but what you did see was he found the ball when he found, when we got to the ball, he had them thump with him. What was the, the one eight Oh project? What, what's the story behind that name? Um, so that was the, the free agency grade. Okay. We had, so we, I, we just came up with that. We was like, what do you want to call it? It's like, all right, man, let's just call it the one eight Oh project. So that was like, he and I's um, inside joke, Jim and I inside joke for every year. You come in and like, here, here goes your one eight O's. Like, but I don't right. get it. I don't get it though. What is, so what is one? Maybe I'm missing it. So 180 is a grade that typically um, we gave free, like college free agents. I see. Okay. So these are guys. Hey, here's your 180 project. You didn't expect uh, it. They weren't supposed to, they were the hidden, the really hidden gems. If you want to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Make I wasn't, I wasn't sure what 180 was. Yeah. Okay. That was his 180 project. So, so was that called. kind of, thinking about that draft, hearing that story makes it, I don't know, the, the, the waters are very muddied when people talk about the 2017 draft. It's either all the bad stuff is Doug Whaley's fault. All the good stuff is like, you know, it was Sean McDermott, but it seems like it was very much a situation where that staff that was in place, you guys were doing the work. Um, certainly Sean and those guys had the input, right? They needed certain types of linebackers or a, or a certain type of guy, but it seemed like that's got to be a weird spot to be in as a scout when you can kind of sense the power shifting, but you still got a job to do. You still got work to put in. Right. And, and, and you know what, Sean did a, did a good job of just merging everyone together because he, because we, we didn't really look at it and said, all right, Doug's getting fired. Now, have you have instincts at, at some point you got to look around like, hold on. Like, Oh yeah, this might happen. But for the most part, it was a collective group effort from, um, the staff that was, 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 was there with us and the coaches that came in with, with Sean. 
Okay, so we have to ask you this. 2017 is the year they didn't draft Patrick Mahomes. Uh, what do you remember of that decision or at least what happened with that trade when, it, when the Bills were about to go on the clock? Well, the trade, I, I don't – so the trade was with Kansas City, and that was something that I, I wasn't a part of. I, I, wasn't on, I wasn't high enough in the, in the, in the hierarchy to, to have any of that information, but I know that we really liked um, Pat. Patrick, I'm sorry, because his mind probably get all over me now. <laughs> we really like Patrick. Um, I know that Terry Pagula really liked Patrick. Um, but somehow, some way that it, it didn't happen. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to say, well, you guys whiffed. Well, I, I mean, the 31 other teams whiffed as well, too. Because if everybody knew how good he would have turned out, then everybody would have called and try to get up to that position and make that trade. So it, the decision was made. We knew who, everyone knows who makes the decision for the most part. And I mean, Doug got fired two days after that. So I don't know if it was a collect, I don't, I don't know if it was, I, I'm gonna say it wasn't Doug's decision to make that, that, that move but it was a collective group effort because at that point, that's where we were handling our draft. It was really between everybody. So I don't know if you, you can put the blame on one person or say that, you know, this person didn't want them. It was more of just a group effort. Um, you always look at it and say, whoever, whoever is running the ship or whoever is captain of that ship has a final say so. Yeah. I guess I wasn't looking at a way to place blame, Gerald, but more so of, maybe some background on maybe they decided that wasn't the year to draft a quarterback or they were going to trade back uh, because they liked, they wanted to collect defensive players, or I, I don't know what the, if you had any insight as to what their, uh, what their strategy was going to be maybe for that. Well, I don't know what the strategy was, but I know that we, at that time, we all, we were in a position where we needed more players. So don't know if we, everyone had Patrick at the top of the draft. I can say most of most people had him in the middle to probably second round. A lot of people ridiculed Andy Reid for making that pick. I mean, it's not as um, though the Bills, when they traded, uh, when they traded that pick, and Pat, yeah, there were some people who said, "Oh, there goes their chance to get the quarterback." But you know, even Andy Reid took some heat. You know, what are you right. going to do? You already have a quarterback. Why, why are we drafting this guy? Now, now you can also say Patrick has fallen into the perfect storm, right? The offensive line set, your skill players are set. You have a guy that you don't have to go in and play that same year. And you might have the best quarterback whisperer of, uh, of all time running the show. So hindsight 2020, Go back, yeah, you make the call and, and get him, but is he the same player in Buffalo that he's in Kansas City? I don't, I don't think so because I don't think you have the weapons. And I don't know if you have the right people to get the best out of him like Andy has. Andy's done a remarkable job. I don't think enough people give Andy the credit for what he's done um, for Patrick. And turning Patrick from the wild gunslinger into a guy that cannot throw the ball but 20-something time and still beat one of the better teams in the NFL, speaking of the Buffalo Bills. 
Patrick Mahomes, just, I guess, to set the record and also for people who listening who might be wondering this question right now, would have come in with Rick Dennison as his offensive coordinator and David Culley, who hadn't coached the position since college 15 years earlier or whatever it was as his quarterback's coach. So it would have been a little, not quite exactly uh, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and no. five different position players who've probably been to a Pro Bowl uh, right. at that point. So that, and, that's, that's sometimes just the difficulty of, of when everybody says, hey, you know, why didn't you take them? Okay, take them and do what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> got to have a plan when you, you got to have a plan. And going in year one, I think everybody was still somewhat filling each other out um, of, 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 of how this whole organization was going to be ran. So... <clears throat> I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yeah. Well, like you said, I find a way to get people to tell me things. I <laughs> don't even know if you told me anything. You'll have to listen back to find out if you said anything of value. Right. I happen to think you did. When you, when you fast Velvet forward. Fog got you again. <laughs> smoke versus fog. Who wins? <laughs> Where does the nickname smoke come from? All right. So I got this nickname back in. What was this my ninth grade year in, in high school? So one of my friends, Pablo Davis. Um, I was playing JV and on this field in Paint Branch High School in Burtonsville, the home of the great Darnell Dockett, if nobody knows. Um, the field was dusty as heck, and I got the ball and I and I and I ran. I made a few moves. So it was like, just, I just kicked up a whole bunch of, of dust and it also looked like smoke, but I was somewhat a little bit fast. So Pablo being a Jamaican was like, yo, you look like he smoked. And that was just a nickname from there on. And then other people throw other names in there. Cause I'm truly, I'm really dark. So people say, Hey, you smoke black and all that other stuff. But that's where it came from. from my man, Pablo Davis. My favorite is when I was doing that story was talking to Dabo Swinney and him saying, you know, he went up to your high school to to look at Darnell Dockett, and he he came away with Gerald Dixon. He's like, man, you know, he, kind of a, a funny uh, funny deal. He wasn't even looking for you. No. So his story is is he, it's the cow. He came up for the cow and left with the calf. Right. <laughs> and to this day, I mean, we talk about you know once once a month. He still bring that same story up, but at the end of the day, I mean, he ended up on the right track. I mean, all Donnie did was go down to Florida State and become one of the better defense tackles. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe, let me put you on the spot here. Because um, maybe, I mean, maybe you don't know. I mean, because salary cap's involved in all that stuff. And you aren't working the phones or talking to the NFL guys like you would normally if you were um, advanced scouting or even looking at the college kids. Uh, but we have a trade deadline coming up and we were just talking a little bit ago about, well, what can be done? And you said strategy or scheme doesn't necessarily matter unless you have the players. Well, here we have the opportunity for whoever your favorite team is uh, to get uh, to get some of those players. Right. You have any thoughts on the bills at the trade deadline, what might be available or what they in a perfect world, what they should do. In a perfect world, I wish I had some some names in front of me. Won't you throw some? Let, let's play a game. We just throw some names. Mm. Throw some names, and 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 then and then we can go off of that. 
Well, you know, I, you know what? Before we even get into that, I'll tell you what. So a few years ago, um, there was a young man uh, from the great University of Alabama. And he was just, he just stopped by the house the other day, Marcel Durries. Marcel, and, and, and I'm, and, and, and I'm going to let you get to it. Marcel was traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars that year from Buffalo. And I don't know if anyone remembers, Jacksonville was like in the bottom third in run defense. They couldn't stop anybody from running the ball down their throat. They traded for Marcel. Don't know what they traded for. I forget. I thought it was like a six-round draft pick or something like that. And now they stick big Selly in the middle, and you're playing the AFC championship game against – in what a couple of minutes away from winning the, the from going to the Super Bowl, so those are type moves that I think that if there's a big thick body out there that can really clog the middle up and knock guys back, those are type of guys that I would say would help the Buffalo Bills in terms of run defense. How's Marcel doing these days? Yeah, is he ready to play or what? You know what? He's doing well. So his new deal is he's um he 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 wants to be a pilot or something. <laughs> it's a character. Yeah. Oh, listen. I wait. He, what kind of pilot? Man, listen. He, he, airplanes? No, his own. Yeah, his own plane. I mean, I can imagine. You know, like um, Jim Richer, the former Bills offensive lineman who's on the Wall of Fame. Uh, right. He is a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another former. Play, a Bills player who's a pilot. Uh, in fact, I just uh, the name's escaping me. Uh, flies for uh, JetBlue. No, I don't, I don't imagine think... getting on a plane and <laughs> walking like you know you're, you're boarding and you say hello to the flight attendant who's standing right there as you're getting off the jetway and stepping onto the plane and you glance into the cockpit and your pilot is Marcel Darius. <laughs> yeah, I would say you, I'm I you know what something came I'm up. Off. I'm gonna have to take a later flight. I'm getting off. <laughs> I'm getting off. We can, we can hang out and talk about Bama football all we want. And, um, you know, crazy thing, he, he and my wife went to the same high school. No kidding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So is, does he still want to – does he want to play at all or is he done? Um, You know, that's a Marcel question. And the crazy thing is – And he's hanging around him, Buffalo? He came by. He said he wanted to – he said he, he, said he, he said he missed me. So he wanted to come up and, and say hi. So he flew up in his plane, his own plane with his pilot. Um, he told, he called me in the morning and said, yeah, I'm going to come see you. I said, all right, man, whatever. I'll see you whenever. Did he have his captain's hat on? No, he didn't have the hat on that time. So he called me in the morning, said he's going to come up and, and, and come um, some check, come check up on me and, and the kids. Because he and my, my oldest daughter, they had a weird relationship. That's her favorite player. That's his, one of his favorite people in the world. So they're, they're super close. And he's like, yeah, you know what, Smoke, I miss you, and I, and I just want to come see the kids and, and come check you out. And I said, all right, seeing a few. Thinking that he's on a board, Delta flight, come on up, rent a car. He said, nah. So he pulled up to the house and said, man, how'd you get up here so fast? He's like, yeah, I just bought a plane. Huh? I said, what would you, yeah, you rent a jet? Mm-mm, got my own plane. And with his pilot. <laughs> so he came with his pilot and we hung out, um, had dinner. Well, he's frugal. I mean, he's not so, he's not really reckless with his money. He wants to learn how to fly the plane himself so he doesn't have to pay the pilot. That's where he's really going to watch his money. Listen, man, I, I, here, here's one of my things about people and money. If you worked hard for it and you earned it and it's yours, yeah, do whatever you want with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. 
Yeah. So uh, any chance that Marcel was in town to meet with the Bills, maybe? He seems I, like he fits a role if he's in shape. Know, this was this was like a month ago. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he, he came by the Dixon Dixon resident. I can't say he went by anywhere else. I mean, he came by to check on me. One Dixon Drive. He was uh, <laughs> nah. one he came by one Dixon Plaza. <laughs> All right. So anyway, back to uh, trade deadline. How about um, you know, who's a tight end out there? Like, I guess you got to look at the teams who are in a cell now. I mean, the Jets probably aren't making a trade with the Bills. Well, Divisional Alvin Tomlinson is a guy people throw out a lot. I'm sorry? Dalvin Tomlinson, the guy from the Giants. Big okay. hulking nose tackle. From, from? Alabama. There we go. So it's always good when you have a Bama man. <laughs> But you were shaking your head no. So are you no, down no, on your, that, that, your fellow tide? That would be good. That's a, that's a big man that strong at the point of attack can reset the line of scrimmage. I would take. It's a good take. And Dave Gettleman and Brandon Bean work together, so people like to connect those dots of maybe they'd be willing to offload somebody. So that's the type of deal you're probably looking for. They don't have a lot of money to, you know, people were kind of all upset that they didn't go after Yannick um, at that price, but they don't really have the money to move around to, to fit him under the cap. I see a lot of Kyle Rudolph uh, chatter today too, but Kyle Rudolph's contract is. All right. So here's the crazy thing. So when you're doing these trades and you always got to look at it. And, and I think what I learned the most from Brandon Bean is, really constructing a team. So you say you go out and you get Kyle Rudolph. For a young kid um, that they drafted in the third round, Dawson. Dawson Knox, right? Right. I don't know what the – that's a bad message. If you go out and you go get Kyle Rudolph and you stick Kyle in, like Kyle's not playing second team. Yeah. So the, the, the player that you just invested in with your time and, and draft pick, you're basically saying, dude, it's – your time's up. But I know those guys in the interior are older players. They can say, hey, man, this is truly competition. But if you've if you invested into a third-round guy in the second year and um, and you bring in a vet that's coming in and he's going to be a, a big piece of your offense because he's good in the red zone, one of the better tight ends. I know he's getting up in age, but that time's up for you, youngster. How about how about this, Gerald? Rather rather than knocking around names because we don't necessarily have the contracts in front of us and everything. How about just the position? If you could pick a couple of positions, obviously defensive tackle. We've we've kind of settled that as a need. But do you look on the Bills and say they really could short? They really could fill a hole or shore up a need if they got an X defensive end that can get after the passer. Yeah. Uh, Love Levi Wallace, but a true number two um, corner. And even if you have Levi there, um, I, I would think one of the most underrated positions in the NFL, but if you have a real good one, um, you separate yourself. You're nickel. And I've seen him throw um, a couple of guys, well, three guys in there. Um, with T. Johnson, Dean Marlowe, and the youngster, um, Cam Lewis. Yep, yep. Yeah, they've thrown all three of those guys in, and those aren't truly difference makers, for, in, in my opinion. I mean, all those guys are tough, solid players, but if you can get a, a third corner somewhere in there, and Levi now is your third corner, I think you're, you're, you're a better team. 
um, just getting after the passer because if you're blitzing and you don't have a true covered guys, you're now you're leaving one guy on an island by himself. What I think Tredavious can do, but the nickel. So it, it kind of just ties in. Defensive end, defensive tackle, and nickel on defense, I would say, would be um, the positions I would go after to improve that defense. Yeah, I know Desmond King is a name that gets brought up a lot. That's another one. Playing out for another one of your guys, Anthony Lynn, out in L.A. Uh, with the Chargers. Um, that, that's a good name that gets tossed around. Um, but Dez, he plays in a defense that's really, really good for him, right? A lot of cover three, zone guy. When, when I talk about Nichols, um, I'm talking about guys that can truly cover. Chris Harris, coverage ability. That you can say, you know what? When we're going man, we're going man to man. He's going to take away the slot because you see a lot of times third and five for the Bills. Cole Beasley that goes out there and makes a, a six yard catch. Is he going to go? Is he going to score? No, but he keeps that drive going. Now you got to play another three downs. To, and it just and it just adds up when there there aren't guys making plays at that position. That position has to be shored up. Shored up for um, that defense to really take off. What do you think of, we were talking about this earlier in the show, kind of a non-Bills question, but sort of a Bills question. Tua getting the nod in Miami. Um, how live are the Dolphins? I mean, I know I know another Alabama man uh, getting a starting job, but what do you think he can do to that team? Is that team legit enough to, to contend in this division? All right, so let me let me let me let me let me be biased right now. I'll go on record. Tua Tungavailoa is the best football player in Alabama history. Period. That's my opinion. Um. Now, after I gave him his props on the college level, wait a minute. Um, Joe Joe Namath played at Alabama. Yeah. How many times did they run the ball when Joe played? Like Tua. Uh, Tua, Tua changed the. How about culture. Ken Stabler? Love the snake. His daughter is a great agent. Um, but Alexa, I'm um, stable. As you give this answer, I'm just going to rant. I'm just going to just throw out Alabama and go ahead and you finish. I'm just going to like sling an arrow at you. I'll be like, yeah, well, what about. I've, done this, I've done this so many times with, with, with my guys because they think that I'm nuts. But he changed the culture of that place. Like Alabama, when you think of Alabama in any era, Whatever coach, if it's Dennis Ranchoni, Mike Dubos, the Bear, Ray Perkins, the great Gene Stallings, whoever you put in there. It How about will... John Hanna? Listen, turn the ball around. Give John Hanna's a Hall of Famer. Turn the, turn around, hand the ball off. John Hanna's on the block. Johnny Musso, you're going to get yards. Sean Exound, you're going to get yards. And we're going to beat teams 17 to 10, 13 to 20. Yeah. The lefty comes in. I mean, they're chucking this thing around 40-something times. Derek yeah. Thomas, Gerald. Derek Thomas. My favorite player ever. I'm a, I'm a huge Kansas City fan because of BB. But Derek. Cornelius Bennett. Biscuit is my guy. But the lefty changed the culture of that place. Nick Saban throwing the ball around. Like, first down throwing the ball. And it, it, he made – made, okay, so. Dwight Stevenson, FFS. When was the last time that you had – you're going to have two Alabama receivers going the first round? Yeah, not often. They got a couple more. 
I mean, now Matt Jones, those guys that made him look good, but those guys were catching balls and wasn't breaking stride when Tua was throwing to him. I just think he, I just, on the college level, he's the best Bama player, in my opinion. Now he gets to the NFL. Um, they feel good enough that they have um, some pieces around him to help him out. Um, three and three, everybody knows Fitzy. Fitzy's good for about six, six solid games. He's going to give you two that's great, um, four okay. But once you start getting to the second half of the season, Fitzy reverts back to being one of the best backup quarterbacks of all time. We've seen it. Why is that, Gerald? Why do you think that is? Um, you know what? The real good players, or they understand their skill set. Like you understand that you're the Velvet Fog, right? You're not. Gonna go out, <laughs> that's right. That's you're right. not going to go out there and try to be the road racer, right? You're going to stay exactly doing what you do well, consistently over a period of time, and that's why you're great. I believe the inconsistent players get hot and they find out what's really good to them. And they say, you know what, instead of taking this five yard throw, I'm gonna go for the 10 and then you might get away with it. Then you say, you know what, I can make this 15. And then you start just outsmarting yourself. And that, that might be one of his issues. Like he thinks that he's a little bit better than what he really is. Like you're a great backup, be a backup. Like even with his answer yesterday, like it's case in point of what he is, right? He goes out and says, hey, you know, that's my team and I'm hurt. Hold on. You understand they took a quarterback in the top five picks? Top of the first round. Arguably, some people would have said could have gone number one. Or else. And you think that's your team? Like, it was already known at some point, if it wasn't yesterday or the day before, or game 10, you're going to get booted. And you're going to become a good quarterback coach. Play your role and do it well. And I think that's the reason why he is what he is. Well, Gerald, we've covered a lot of territory and we've kept you on longer than most guests. So I don't want to keep taking advantage of your time here. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about? Uh, updates on, I don't know. No, anything, you know what? I, I, anything I got else we want to roll out there? I got a few more minutes with you. They, okay. like, they, haven't, they haven't banged on the ceiling yet to, for me to come uh, out of my cave. <laughs> but if you're ready for me to wrap it up, that's fine too. No, no, no. It's uh, I'm enjoying this. No, sure. Um, I just want to make sure I give you an out in case you got someplace you want to be and you're just being too nice to 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 bail. No, I'm kind. I'm not nice. But you know, when the smoke starts clearing, I can say smoke out and get out. All right, I hear that. But you're good though. Keep going. So, what do you think of this division? What do you think of? what you've seen so far in this it's been a weird season for some you know for for obvious reasons empty stands and all that but what are what are some of the things you're, you're seeing around the league um that, that you think so with you talk the afc east to me has been the worst division in in the last 15 20 years my opinion um and when you break up New England, that doesn't automatically mean that division got better. It's still the same. It's a, it's a, to me, it's, it's a toss-up, right? Because if you have a guy that leaves and you get a, a new quarterback that comes in and you're having rumblings of it being a good division, it's like, all right, it's really not. You have the only team that hasn't won a game, the Jets. 
in your division in the Miami Dolphins that had 20 something quarterbacks in the last, since Dan Marino's left. So truly, I don't think this, this division is, it is what it is. It's what the AFC, it's NFC East now is what the AFC East has always been for the longest. But just going around football, you have how many teams are undefeated? Five, three? I think there's three left, right? Yes, three. When I think when we all go back run and say, why do we need preseason? Um, the season is going according to the way that it's always gone. You're going to have a, a, a group of real good teams. You have your Kansas Cities, your Baltimore, your Green Bay, your Seattle Seahawks. Then you have a drop off of your four and two, three and three teams. That's going to be week 14 and 15 going to be hustling for that last position in, in the playoffs, which is, I always shrug my shoulder and like, yeah, you guys are just playing just to get beat in some playoff game. It's, it's, I think it's going to come down to Kansas City, whoever has the best quarterback at that point. So it's Russell, Green Bay, um, and Kansas City, and Baltimore find a way to get in it. But if you can't play losing by 14 points to come back, uh, I can't take you real seriously as a, a truth team. So do you think that – do you still consider the Bills the – well, I don't want to say still because maybe you've had a different opinion on this. So I guess I'll retract that. Um, are the Bills the favorite to win the AFC East? Um, yeah, they're the favorites to win because, I mean, you're 4-2 you're, you're and two with a starting quarterback. Like, they're the only team with a true starting quarterback that started every single game. Yeah. I mean, you got Cam that's just coming off of the, um, off the list. And he's still trying to figure out what to do in certain situations in, in terms of playing with a new ball team, ball club. Um, Miami just has a rookie now that's starting, and he's going to complete his third ball um, the week after next. And then you have whatever's going on in New York, right? So if you're not the favorite, man, it's hard not to be. And that's not because they're not a good team. It's just the division is not really good right now. It's kind of perfect timing for them to be coming into their own as a team while the rest of the division is in, in various stages of dysfunction. Right. It's not their fault that, that, that Sean and Bean has done, a, has done a good enough job to keep a good culture and a good group of, of players around to win four games and only lose two to two playoff teams. Right. Everybody thinks like, Oh yeah. It's so they lost, they, they lost to the Super Bowl winning team. And last time I checked, um, Tennessee had a great run last year in the playoffs. With maybe, well, I'm not going to say it again. It's another Bama guy. That's one of the better running backs in the NFL. So, take him with shameless. Two. You are shameless. <laughs> I, this is I just a big if, Bama recruiting pitch. Is all. Listen, this. man. A lot of people get cut, and they have all type of colors dripping out of them. I just have crimson running out of my veins. Don't we all? We're all human, and we're—I guess—we're all made of—we're all crimson tide. Yeah, you would be crimson and white, <laughs> very white. Put us together, and we'd be a box of Neapolitan ice cream. Man, we'll be winning national championships. <laughs> all right, Gerald, I am going to cut it now because yeah. I feel like we're taking advantage and. Uh, and I want to leave some meat on the bone because let's make this a, a regular thing rather than just, we don't need to get it all out right now. 
Oh man. So you, you said you wanted to do this. You've been looking forward to doing this. Has it, has it, have you felt this is satisfying at all? Let me, let me, let me just, oh, you know what? I do feel the love, you know, and, 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 and Matt makes it so, so, so much easier because I got the, I got the velvet and I got the fog and Matt just comes in and he's more like satin smooth. It just smooths everything out. <laughs> well, now the smoke can come in and settle on the, on the, on the velvet and you won't even have like a, a bad seventies <laughs> outfit. We actually are trending right now. And, Sounds and, like like going. a hookah lounge or something going on. <laughs> hookah, smoke, let, let, you put it all together. That's right. We just need some smooth jazz to to lead us in and out of this thing. Or or some or some Bob Marley from our Jamaica. There you go. Speaking of smoke, there you go. <laughs> Gerald Dixon, former Bill Scout, uh, also uh, formerly of the XFL and uh, scouting. From home right now, like like a lot of other people in this weird pandemic, 2020, uh, but uh, just immense football knowledge, so much background, so much insight on what's going on in the college ranks and with the Bills. And um, Gerald, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Let me plug the uh, website or the uh, the Twitter handle again at Coach G V Dixon. Uh, that's where you'll find Gerald Dixon's Twitter handle. And uh, it's been it's been a blast. I've enjoyed this, and uh, I am already looking forward to the next time. Oh man, I appreciate you having me on. I truly do. Gerald Dixon, everybody. All right, appreciate you. What you were just listening to are the musical stylings of Joel Staniszewski and his band, The End of Everything. The name of that uh, tune is Force Fed Lies. Uh, quite, a, quite a difference from the theme song uh, that TGAF uh, brought to you by CTBK uh, is using today. Um, Joel Staniszewski joining us on the line from Vegas uh, Joel, give us an update on the band and what's uh, what's going on with your musical career because we've we've had you on here several weeks. We haven't touched on it. We've been playing uh, some of your music, uh, bumping in and out of these segments. But uh, take us take us into the band. What's going on with it? Yeah, so the the band as a whole is is still going strong. We're just not uh, playing any shows right now. There's no concerts. Whether you're talking about large scale. 50,000 capacity stadium concerts versus small band shows. There's just nothing going on. Um, we've been, you know, burning the midnight oil, uh, writing some songs. Uh, we have a record that we are just finishing up the recording process on a seven inch, a 45, as some of your older listeners might call it, an actual vinyl record that will be put out uh, hopefully later this year or before the end of the year um, on a, a record label called War Against Records, which is based out of Southern California. And it'll be on all your streaming platforms and all, wherever you listen to music, you'll be able to hear the end of everything. This sounds like a very positive development for the band. What is this, what's the significance of, uh, of making this next step? Uh, just trying to get as many people to uh, listen to us as possible. So we, we are, uh, you know, a very underground style of music, of hardcore, of 
heavy metal, punk rock, whatever you want to categorize it as. But um, it's a very small little niche market of music. So it's hard to become a popular band in that scene because it's a small scene. So uh, just getting as many people to, to listen to us and check us out, whether it's on social media or listening to records or hearing us on Spotify or wherever you get music. That's the main, the main thing that we're trying to do. Now, does your band do any covers of the shout song? Cause that was your old intro music when we were on the radio. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm the only band member that, that that's originally from Buffalo. So the other guys are all from California, Reno area. They don't, they don't care about the bills or really sports not like I do. They're not in the same, uh, when we're outside of band work, uh, we're in completely different worlds. Joel, how, how important is uh, music to your life? Obviously, from a spiritual standpoint, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it or have a passion for it. But in terms of your career and uh, livelihood and those types of things, how much is it a hobby versus something that, um, that could be more than that? Yeah, so I mean, what's always been super important to to my work is is work life balance. I mean, I convinced my parents when I was like 13 years old to buy me a drum set, and I've been banging on drums for 25 plus years now. And uh, I love music. I've always played in bands from when I was you know 13 years old until now at 42. Um, so I understand as a 40 year old guy in the underground punk and hardcore scene that I'm an elder statesman for sure. And uh, once you hit a certain age, you, 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 you rapidly shift from being the cool guy who's been around for a while to like the creepy old guy who's just standing in the corner. And, you know, my, my time left in that scene is, is dwindling and I don't have any uh, false thoughts that I'm going to become the next Metallica or whatever. I just, really enjoy playing music and, and, and writing songs. And uh, I hope people uh, listen to them and they enjoy them as much as I enjoy playing them. We're in conversation with Joel Staniszewski from uh, Sloan and St. Joe's and Buffalo state. And he has been out in Las Vegas for a long time, uh, handicapping, uh, analyzing and, um, and uh, posting the odds uh, for games. Uh, we have him on every week to talk about the bills um, I don't want to just go ahead and move right off of the music and into a very well historic uh, Bills uh, point spread this week uh, without uh, plugging the group and uh, and whatever uh, other work you're doing, Joel. So by all means, uh, you're very gracious to uh, give us your insights on the betting. Uh, what what else do you want to tell people about your music? Oh, wow. I think I pretty much covered it all. If uh, any listeners are interested and they're on social media, we're on Instagram. It's the end of everything 702, which is the uh, area code for Las Vegas. We're also on Facebook and uh, you can look for us on Spotify, Apple Music. We have a digital EP that came out earlier this year. It's called This Means War. Uh, and our new uh, record that will be titled Things Are About to Change will be out hopefully uh, later this year. Right on. Well, congratulations on all those developments. That's pretty cool, Joel, to take something yeah. that you just have a passion about, but uh, 
having it pressed to vinyl and being able to do shows once things get back to normal and, and, uh, and have an audience. Hopefully you're not wasting your remaining uh, music coolness uh, during the pandemic, uh, having it squandered as it's, as yeah, the it's clock just, is ticking, as you said. The clock, I didn't the clock is running said. out. Oh yeah, it's running out. <laughs> All right. So the Buffalo Bills this week, uh, heading into the Meadowlands, uh, they opened at 10 and a half or 11 point favorites. It's bet up to 13 uh, at, uh, at some places you can get it in Las Vegas. It seems to be trending that way on the consensus. So uh, I looked it up before you came on, Joel, only four times in Bill's history have they been uh, favorites on the road by at least 11 points. Uh, and the last time was in 1994. Uh, it would have been the 93 season, the 93 regular season finale against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, prior to that, you have to go back to 1992 uh, for a 16-and-a-half-point spread in which the Bills did not cover. Uh, and then 1992, uh, about uh, two months before that game, they were 14-point favorites at New England, won that game. And uh, 1991, they were 13-point favorites at Indianapolis uh, and covered that game. So just a very brief history uh, regarding a spread this this wide on the road for the Bills, that's a totally different team, totally different game. But um, what's uh, what do you make of this uh, this fat spread? Yeah, the the spread has been bet up. Um, if I was if I was putting up a line, if I was a bookmaker at an independent shop, that number seems a bit high. I would be leaning towards the lower end of that spread. Um, you can find it in town at 11 and a half and as high as 13, which is a pretty big move between two different shops. Um, so depending upon who you like in that game, if you were betting it, you definitely want to travel to make sure you get the best number uh, for that game. Uh, I, I remember seeing something. I, I can't verify the validity of it, but I saw something that said in 1992, the Bills started four two really bad losses, and then their next two games were against the Jets and Patriots. So uh, we're in a if, if we follow suit to 1992, I'd be uh, pretty happy. Uh, <laughs> minus minus the outcome, the final minus the final outcome. 92 was the year Tim referenced in his story, and a little bit earlier in the podcast that the Bills lost as double-digit favorites on the road in Indianapolis. Yeah. I don't know if it's the only time they've lost is that big of a road underdog, but it, I believe it's the last time. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really big spread. And I'm normally, I would lean towards the home dog getting so many points, but I feel like the NFL is kind of trending in a different direction in the past couple of years where teams are just blatantly tanking and trading off pieces for draft picks way more than they ever have in the past. Um, as a Bills fan, when you see what happened the last two weeks versus the previous four weeks, I mean, you're, you're mad. You're, a, you're extremely disappointed. This team can't stop anything, and they can't move the ball until they're down by three scores. Um, so you really want to see the Bills throttle the Jets. When you see what happened to them, Last week, 
losing to the Dolphins by 24, 24 to nothing, I think that was the final, right? You want to see the Bills win by 30 to prove that we're actually the team that, that we thought we were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, you might say the Bill. Oh, go ahead, Jonah. Well, I, you know, the old saying, good teams win, great teams cover. The Bills are 3-3 three and three against the spread this year. The last two games, they haven't just lost, but they didn't cover the spread either. So how important is it as a Bills fan or maybe evaluating how good or great the Bills are, is it that they don't just win this game, that they cover a large spread? Yeah, as a Bills fan, you know, you want to see them win, of course. You want to see them win every game. But seeing the Jets lose and they're 0-6 straight up and against the spread, they haven't covered a spread yet. So you want to see the Bills destroy them. And I know the, the, the age of running up the score is, is kind of past us and not a uh, Buffalo Bills kind of thing like it is now. Uh, like, it, like it may have been in the past with, with other teams and other coaches, but you don't want to see them take their foot off the gas at all. You want to see their defense actually stop somebody. You want to see their offense sustain drives. You want to see them put 30 up at least uh, on this team. And the Bills, uh, the coaching staff, players alike, they know that there are question marks around them. Uh, they had they heard them when they were four and zero because it added to the chip on the shoulder. Uh, you you heard them, you know, mention it here or there. They really know about it uh, after these last two games, uh, losing to the Chiefs and the Titans. Uh, and I think that some frustrations would lend themselves to the type of game where they, if they have a chance to rub it in, they will. And uh, they need to swing some confidence. They need to make a statement, even if it's internally, to, like you say, Joel, uh, to remind uh, each other, hey, we're really good here. And uh, let's, let's, get some of the, let's exercise some of these demons. Yeah. And, and the, when we played, um, when we played uh, Las Vegas and when we played uh, another team that we beat, I can't remember off the top of my head, we gave up – backdoor covers or we gave up scores on the back end garbage time points yeah Uh, the bills fans i don't think care about garbage time points uh if we're up 35 to 3 and we give up some points at the end and lose 30 and we win 35 17 we don't care but we want to see our team our offense move the ball without a problem and we want to see our defense actually make a stop on on third down especially and uh, get a get a couple three and outs get an interception, get some turnovers. You know, we saw some, some great play from Josh Norman and then some horrible play from Josh Norman. And we're seeing our defense getting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and, and just falling apart, literally just falling apart on the field in front of us. And, I mean, as a Bills fan, you're watching a team that you know can score and you're just seeing them come out and hesitating on offense and hesitating with play calling and defense just looking ex- like they don't even care out there. You want, and, and I'm sure the coaches see that. So I'm sure they're really, because the coaches, the Leslie Frazier's of the world, knows that he's got a top five defense, but not anymore. We had a top five defense last year, and the only real missing pieces are, are Jordan Phillips and Star Latulale. Everybody else is pretty much the same. So we let, we let Jordan Phillips and, and Shaq Lawson go, and we thought we signed better players and they're not doing anything 
to to give us any reassurance that they're they're doing the right thing. So these coaches, they're on the hot seat too. If the Bills lose to the Jets, something big is going to have to happen. So speaking of coaches on the hot seat, uh, Jonah had a point uh, we were talking before we, we brought you on, Jonah, regarding uh, Adam Gase. What, that he's the worst coach I've ever seen? <laughs> that was my point. I mean, Or the idea that <laughs> oh, oh. the players actually – They're playing like they want him to be fired, like a hockey team that's quit on their coach. I guess it happens in football too, but yeah. you see it maybe more in other sports. I mean, because the one thing I think – the Jets could win this game with a big number or cover the spread if they played harder than the Bills because they're at home. They've already lost to the Bills. They're pride's on the line. They're 0-6. I think there is a circumstance. The Jets can't be as bad as they've been talent-wise. It's the NFL. They can't be that bad. But right. if they're not playing to save their coach or to, to rally around something and almost seems to be playing in the other direction, like Le'Veon Bell leaves the team, it seems like maybe there's other players that might want to follow him out the door, that seems like a recipe for getting beat by three, four touchdowns. Yeah, the, these players and coaches, they still have these contracts that they want to live up to, and they still have the, the want to get another contract uh, from a different team or, or something or get another job, a coaching job. Uh, so, you know, your own personal pride is still on the line, but when, when you have your teammates that just don't care and the coaches that just seem to not care – are you really going to go out there and risk possible injury to try to tackle somebody on the five yard line? Or are you just going to let them walk in and get the touchdown because you know, they're going to score, you know, when you watch a game and you see a team get down to the one yard line, what are the chances of them stopping them four plays from the one yard line? Like what? 3%. So you think these defensive linemen for the jets really care? Like, like their personal pride, like I said, is still on the line, but, if, if you assume that the 10 guys next to you aren't playing their hardest and aren't playing to care, then why would you? Uh, Joel, I, uh, before we let you go, let's not forget about the total. Uh, 48 was where it opened. It's gone down to about 45. Uh, last week you shocked us by saying to take the under uh, against the Chiefs because uh, we had pinball offenses going up against each other. And lo and behold, uh, the rain played a little part of it, but the Chiefs uh, deciding to go ahead and gash the Bills on the ground and, and just milk the clock totally played into that under, uh, yeah. under bet. So uh, what are your thoughts uh, on 45 as a number uh, uh, for this game? I'm, th I'm, thinking, I'm thinking over. I think the Bills will cover. The, the numbers are kind of telling me the, number, the line's getting a bit high. Ten and a half was more where it should be but I'm going to still take it because one point difference on a team that just doesn't care, I think doesn't make a difference. Um, I do think the jets will not get shut out. So I'm thinking in the, you know, like I said, the 35 to 17 range, you know, 35, 13. So I'm saying take the bills and take the over. Take the bill, even at 13 points. No, take the 11 and a half, take the 11 and a half. Okay. If, I, I was going to ask you this when you brought that up. So, Okay. I can maybe picture this. The city has changed so much since I moved away 20 years ago. Joel Staniszewski has the ability to get in his car and bet, the, and bet this game at both ends of the spread, 11 and a half and 13. Uh, how do you go about that? If you were to, do you, would you go, or is this enough of a margin to yes. go bet on the bills and give 11 and a half 
and then get in your car and go somewhere else and take the Jets and 13 points? I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't, I wouldn't middle 11 and a half and 13. Um, but you definitely drive, you definitely go, um, and you get the number. So, and with, with apps that everyone has now, you can bet pretty much anywhere now without going in. So right now, unfortunately, the only 11 and a half is at Circus Sports. And because of a working partnership I have with them, I don't think I should bet there, but I could send somebody else to go and bet there for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely take the bills, um, 11 and a half take the over 45 and uh, go bills. The but apps if do. If you can't shop that line, if you have to take it at 13, would you go so far as to not take the bills or pick the jets on that side? I don't think I would, I don't think I would take the jets at 16, but I wouldn't put my hard earned money on a 13 when I know I can get an 11 and a half. What if you uh, are a guy in Lackawanna and uh, you only have your bookie down at the bar and he's, uh, and it's 13 and it's either him or nothing. I take the 13 then. Okay. All right. I bet it. Look over the pizza. Then. They don't let me argue the line there. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> negotiating. No, um, this is, this is, it's like trying to go there and telling him you want a slice of pizza, but you only want it for a dollar 50. It's not happening. You're not, they're not moving the line. Don't even try. Don't even try. And you mentioned the apps there in Vegas or the whole state of Nevada. That's right. I totally forgot about that. It takes out some of that old romanticism of, uh, you know, going from, you know, the guys that uh, if you'd spend any time in a sports book, um, especially at a place like the Stardust that has the easy in, the easy out off the parking lot. And you'd spend, if you were there for 20 minutes, you'd see, 50 people come in and, uh, and place a bet and hurry up and get the hell out of there so they can go two blocks away and bet something else somewhere oh, else. Yeah. But yeah. you don't have to do one that. Of my really, the apps. One of my really good friends is the director of the sports book at The Win, and he, and he gained his job based upon working at the Stardust and learning all the ropes from him. And that's where I learned the ropes from him. So I got my, you know, my, my, my instructions into the world of sports betting and, and selling numbers and betting to people, you know, taking bets from people based upon who they are, not what the number is. You're, you're, bet, you're, you're, you're catering to a person, not to the number. And so, um, you, you know, you, 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 as the number is up there, you take the bets and you move the line or you don't move the line, depending upon who you're taking these bets from. So, the, the with the apps now it's it's a totally different world you know walking into a smoky sports book and bumping into people with the sheets and people yelling at the horse races now you literally drive down the street to a 7-eleven and you can make your deposits into your sports book account at a 7-eleven and that's that's what you do now you just bet on your phone did you ever meet lefty rosenthal no I don't think so. You paused on but that. I, know I think I've, you have met it. Yeah, you I don't think you don't want to say. <laughs> uh, I, I know I've had some, I've had, I mean, I've talked to from, from taking punch from punching tickets to moving lines to taking bets. I've, I've talked to everybody from, from Billy Walters to Floyd Mayweather to, you know, everybody in between. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy world when, when you have just people just walking up with like, paper sacks just full of stacks and stacks of money and to them it's nothing and you're just like 
all right, this is what we're doing here. You're just dropping $250,000 in cash on the counter, dumping it out of a paper bag like it's, like it's a Big Mac. Yeah, well, I mentioned Lefty Rosenthal because the Stardust was his joint, you know, back in, you know, the, and I didn't know if maybe there was some sort of legacy involved of Lefty Rosenthal at, at the Stardust and who knows, but maybe he's not even allowed to step foot in there uh, or wasn't, uh, you know, back when. Lefty Rosenthal, for those who don't know, the Ace Rothstein character in Casino is based on Lefty Rosenthal. Um, Joel, thanks for joining us. Uh, very nice of you that uh, you do this every week and offer your insights. And uh, can't thank you enough also for uh, giving us uh, some of the bumper music that you use uh, to come in and out of uh, your segment and uh, Force Fed Lies. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit more of it here as we uh, transition off this interview. And uh, follow the end of everything on Twitter at the end of everything seven oh two and get what are some of the other ways you can you can uh, follow your band no, no 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 Twitter Instagram oh Instagram, Instagram. I'm sorry Instagram my bus and fan on Facebook all right and Facebook at uh, the end of uh, the end of everything Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas here on TGAF brought to you by CTBK thanks Joel thanks take care guys. Yeah! No intention!